Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Through conversations with investors and entrepreneurs, Unseen Upside by Cambridge Associates explores the human impact of investing. Season four focuses on exciting healthcare advancements, promising to improve outcomes and create resilient patient-centric systems, blending technology and compassion. Meet the minds behind innovation shaping the future of medicine, from drug discovery to the role of AI. Uncover the Unseen Upside, available now. Hi, Gadget Lab listeners. We're taking a break from our usual show this week. Instead, we're bringing you a special collaboration between Wired and the NPR show 1A. It's a four-part series called Know-It-All, 1A and Wired's Guide to AI. It's about how AI will affect everything from education to healthcare to national security. The series features conversations with people at the forefront of this AI transformation and people whose lives are being directly affected by it. The episode we're sharing here is called Chat GPT in the Classroom. As you might expect from that title, it's all about how AI generators are affecting life in schools. After all, what's the point of giving kids essays as homework if they can just offload their work onto an AI that can generate a response in seconds? This show features Wired's Pia Saris, as well as professors and teachers dealing with AI in the classroom right now. You can hear more at 1A's website, the1a.org forward slash series. We'll have a link in the show notes. Enjoy the show and stay human. From WAMU and NPR in Washington, this is 1A. Hi, I'm Celeste Headley in for Jen White. Today on 1A, we go back to school. Since its launch last year, ChatGPT has been hailed as a dramatic step forward for AI. But it's also started an online arms race to invent new tools to detect when students are cheating. And if students see it as a quick shortcut, what's stopping overworked educators from doing the same? Today, we'll look for some answers to that question and your questions, too. Email us at 1A at WAMU.org or talk to us using our app, 1A Vox Pop. ChatGPT has become one of the most popular sites online. More than 100 million monthly users within just two months of its launch last November. It took Instagram two and a half years to reach that number. Users can type in a prompt and quickly get whatever they asked for written by artificial intelligence. And it didn't take long for students to give it a try. I teach freshman English at a local university, and three of my students turned in chatbot written papers this past week. I spent my entire weekend trying to confirm that they were chatbot written, then trying to figure out how I'm going to confront them, how I'm going to turn them in as plagiarists, which is what they are, and how I'm going to penalize their grade. This is not pleasant, and it's not a good temptation. These young men's academic careers now hang in the balance because they've been caught cheating. Thanks for that message, Kay. We continue our series today, Know-It-All, 1A and Wired's Guide to AI. We have partnered with the digitally focused news outlet, and today we'll talk about artificial intelligence in the classroom. 
Later in the hour, we'll hear from a student at Princeton University whose peers enthusiastically embraced ChatGPT. So he developed an app to detect when AI wrote a piece of text. But first, let's get the basics with Pia Saris. She's a senior digital producer at Wired. Hi, Pia. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Great to have you. And Lalita Vasudev. Uh, Vasudevan, sorry about that, Lalita. She's a professor of technology and education at Columbia University's Teacher College, also the college's vice dean for digital innovation. Lalita, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me on. So, Pia, it's incredible how much students are already using Chat GPT. How is it appearing in classrooms? That is such a great question. So. Uh, I guess just a little bit of a background on ChatGPT and how it works, I think will give us a better understanding of how students have been adopting it. I think what makes ChatGPT so distinctive compared to its predecessors is that the interface is more accessible than ever compared to, for example, GPT-3. So truly any one with an internet access and an email address could theoretically access this tool, uh, which is what we're focused on here in this conversation on education. Any child with an email address could easily use this tool. And right now, unfortunately, we are seeing some cases of uh, students who are using ChatGPT in in the case here in this voicemail for to, to plagiarize uh, for their papers. But we're also seeing, um, and this is more the focus of the story that I was working on for Wired, some teachers trying to proactively discuss ChatGPT and even incorporate it in some of their lessons. Yeah, we got a tweet from Damien who says, as a professor, I've been devising multiple assignments that are meant to teach students how to use and assess GPT-type tools in their work so they can get a hands-on understanding of the limitations and implications of the technology. We'll definitely be talking about that today. But Lalita, ChatGPT itself is quite new, but AI is not new. How long have you been thinking about AI and the ways it might be used or maybe banned in the classroom? (laughs) Yeah, thank you for that. And I, you know, I, I really appreciate what Pia just said about just how accessible this particular tool is. But, you know, AI has been Um, increasingly creeping into the education sphere for a a while now. And, you know, my colleagues and I at Teachers College, um, we're in the technology and education program, have spent a lot of time really thinking about what automation means for various aspects of teaching. And I think we collectively take the Uh, you know, approach that automation is not about supplanting the role of the educator or the the teaching and learning relationship. But when you have um, districts like New York City who relies on Google Classroom to help support um, students' learning, um, to provide opportunities for students not just to be able to navigate these different tools, but also to um, create increased access for students um, for all students uh, enrolled in the district. And this is this is the question we have around the use of AI technology. So, you know, I think people have been using various forms of AI um, in increased uses of uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, to really help kind of build out simulations um, when uh, other forms of access were not available. Um, we see the use of various AI tools to assist with um, some basic uh, assessment. Now, th- there's there's a spectrum here. Um, we don't want to necessarily outsource everything to artificial intelligence tools. But like Pia mentioned, there are teachers who are trying to be thoughtful about how can the existing tools um, support the kinds of uh, tech teaching that I'm trying to do in the classroom. Which is different when you're talking about assessments or an analysis um, than it is when you're trying to teach someone how to write, right? So let's explain exactly the difference between, say, plagiarizing Wikipedia, which is quite easy to detect, and ChatGPT. Um, you spoke with Kelly Gibson, an English teacher who includes The Great Gatsby in her curriculum, and she asks her students to write a 300-word essay on what the green light symbolizes in The Great Gatsby. So, Gatsby. So 1A producer Chris Remington asked ChatGPT to do the assignment for him. 
In F. Scott Fitzgerald's novel, The Great Gatsby, the green light is a powerful symbol that recurs throughout the story. The green light is first introduced in chapter one as a distant yet visible beacon across the water, visible from the end of Daisy and Tom's dock. The light represents hope, dreams, and aspirations, but it also has a deeper meaning. The green light represents Gatsby's unattainable dream of being with Daisy. Gatsby sees Daisy as the epitome of everything he desires, and the green light represents his hope of one day winning her over. Gatsby believes that the past can be recreated and that he can relive his former romance with Daisy. I mean, that's not brilliant writing, but holy cow, that's close. Uh, Pia, look, I have a surprising number of, of friends who are professors and teachers. They're freaked out. They're very concerned that students are just going to submit essays written by ChatGPT Is that a reasonable fear? I think that that is a totally valid first response. And the teacher that I spoke with for this story, Kelly Gibson, um, that was her response as well. I think that it's important to, to recognize and validate the experiences and feelings of teachers and professors right now, especially coming out of the tumult that was emergency remote learning in 2020. I think a lot of what I've heard from teachers is not just a direct response to ChatGPT, but just continued exhaustion built up from the shutdowns of March 2020. So I absolutely hear teachers who are feeling fearful or just tired, uh, because it wasn't too long ago that technology somewhat similarly upended their lives and their practices. Um, On the other hand, I feel like panic, while it's a valid response, is is a one note alarm bells kind of response. And it might be, as some teachers see it, an invitation to instead step back and ask, well, if a chatbot could answer a question like, what does the green light symbolize in The Great Gatsby? Was that a question worth asking my students anyway? Was it a question that students uh, could actually (laughs) demonstrate understanding? Pia Saris, getting spicy. She's a senior digital producer at Wired. Also with me is Lalita Vasudevan. She's a professor at Columbia University's Teacher College. And we're hearing from you. Jay emails, at the university where I work, students are asking whether using AI like ChatGPT counts as as plagiarism. While using AI to do your work for you may be useful in the professional world, we need students to write their own papers so they can understand the concepts they need to learn. How do we ensure that AI is being used honestly? Lalita, do you you have a response to Jay's question? I think it's a a really valid one. And again, I want to echo a couple of points that Pia made in response. Um, And that is truly about how hard uh, teachers work and the level of exhaustion that is prevalent across teachers right now. We, you know, they've been going sort of nonstop in continually volatile um, conditions uh, for a few years. And I think the question about, you know, plagiarism versus what is this thing? (laughs) What, you know, is ChatGPT an author? Is it a sounding board? Is it an editor? Is it a um, conversation partner? I think one way to answer that question, I would say, would be to invite teachers into that conversation and students into that conversation. You can easily Google phrases and it'll um, show you where they appear. Um, You know, uh, universities and and colleges have been using Turnitin for a number of years to uh, address this very thing. But I would would err on the side of um, two two points. One is uh, the question around cheating and ChatGPT is um, the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we could potentially see as the value of such a tool for learning. And so ChatGPT, I mean, cheating um, obscures the real set of questions that I think we want to move towards. And but th- but that doesn't negate the the concerns that teachers yeah. have. And then the second question, or second point, I would just say really echoes something Pia said, and that is, and I'll and I'll put a little bit of a spin on it. Not only you know does it call into question what kinds of assignments, what are we asking um, students to uh, perform in producing schools? Um, but how are we supporting teachers to ask different types of questions Interesting. Themselves? 
Um, we are talking about AI and chat GPT, and we're speaking with Lalita Vasudevan. She's a professor at Columbia University's Teacher College and also Pia Saris. She's a senior digital producer for Wired magazine. Coming up, we'll meet a teacher who fears AI could bring an end to high school English as we know it. AI can write essays. It can make music or at least remix it. This, what you're hearing, is an AI-generated remix of the 1A theme song. Oh, it's not, but that's coming. You'll hear it. <laughs> I'm Celeste Headley. This is 1A. I'm not an AI, by the way. I'm at WMU and NPR. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down, so your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future, so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. How does AI even work? Where does creativity come from? What's the secret to living longer? TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions with some of the world's greatest thinkers. They will surprise, challenge, and even change you. Listen to NPR's TED Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Celeste Headley. This is 1A, and we're discussing artificial intelligence and education. I'm joined by Lalita Vasudevan. She's a professor at Columbia University's Teacher College, and also with me is Pia Saris. She's a senior digital producer at Wired. And let's bring a new voice into the conversation. Daniel Herman is a teacher at Maybeck High School in Berkeley, California. He wrote an essay for The Atlantic magazine called The End of High School English. Daniel, good to have you with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And we would love to hear from you as well. Jack tweets us this, college professor here. I checked an essay recently using three different AI detectors. One showed the essay almost entirely written by AI. Another showed 42% by AI. The third, none, all human written. How can we trust the detectors? And we'll be talking about that with the guy who built one of those detectors. Um, but we would love to hear from all of you. If you are a parent, teacher, student, how is AI showing up at your school? You can send us an email at wamu.org. So, Daniel, when did you first start experimenting with ChatGPT, which, which only came out in November? But still, when did you start? Yeah, it was, uh, I guess, in early December. I started seeing uh, things show up on my Twitter feed, like a lot of people did, I think, you know, uh, rewrite famous Hamlet soliloquies in, in the voice of Donald Trump, that sort of thing. And I and I made an account. And of course, the, the very first thing I did was start plugging in prompts for assignments that I give my students. And I'll, I'll never forget that moment. You know, my heart started racing and I I, uh, I really couldn't believe what I was what I was seeing appear on my screen pretty much instantaneously. Because it was so close to what you read from students. Oh, yeah, totally. And, um, you know, I think for uh, for the past few decades, it's been a bit of an arms race for for teachers to craft assignments that are what I would call unhackable. And it immediately beca became clear that the definition of what unhackable meant had, had changed irrevoc irrevocably. Okay, so let's dig into what you mean by uh, um, unhackable. One of the assignments you give your students is to write a 12 to 18 page paper Comparing two of the great literary works, here is part of a chat GPT essay that compares Homer's epic Odyssey and Dante's Inferno. Homer's Odyssey and Dante's Inferno are two epic poems that represent important works in the history of literature. 
Both works explored themes of journey, heroism, and human nature, but they also have significant differences in their style, content, and purpose. One of the most significant differences between the two works is their time periods. Homer's Odyssey was written about 800 BC, while Dante's Inferno was written in the early 14th century. This temporal difference results in different styles and language use. The Odyssey uses a straightforward narrative style, while the Inferno is written in a more complex and poetic form, featuring metaphors, allegories, and symbolism. So, Daniel, if would you immediately realize that was written by ChatGPT and not one of your students? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, there's a certain level of idiosyncrasy to to any uh, any student's writing. You know, I, I listened to your show yesterday and heard one of your guests say that AI models merely give the the average of the data that it's it's called from. Yeah. You know, another way to say that is that it delivers the conventions of a form or or the standards and norms associated with with a task in this case, correct grammar, syntax, uh, syntax punctuation, which let's be honest is more than we can say for many high school and and college students. <laughs> There's no mistakes in it. That's how you'd know. Um, but before we get back to our other two guests as well, I want to have you respond to something that Pia said and, and other people are saying. We got this tweet from a listener who says they are a former high school teacher who says teaching has fundamentally failed to keep up with the world. A person from the 1950s would find most aspects of society dramatic changed, but a typical high school classroom, almost entirely unrecognizable. And Pia said maybe chat GPT is, a, is, is letting teachers know that they're asking the wrong questions. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm with Pia. I really, honestly, who cares about the green light in Great Gatsby? It's really, you know, <laughs> we, we've collectively decided on this very narrow definition of what writing is and what we need students to be able to learn how to do. You know, there's just this, this certain standard of expository writing or sometimes uh, narrative essay writing. One would never say that a student needs to graduate high school needing to write a sonnet or a short story. But everybody assumes for some reason, you know, this dreaded five paragraph essay, but very few of, of my students are going to become uh, literary scholars. So why would this a uh, particular task about about the green light to be valued over way more interesting questions about what does it mean to desire something? What does it mean to be excluded? These are all things that The Great Gatsby is, is offering. And there's a lot of data and research that shows that sort of, sort of writing, spontaneous, expressive, reflective writing, can actually be really beneficial for students' well-being. And I, I really appreciate what um, your other two guests have said about the crisis of teacher mental health. But I really think that we need to also focus on the fact that, you know, uh, nobody needs to be told that teenagers are, are not okay and are experiencing their own mental health crisis. And for them to have to focus on, oh, the, the um, literary background of the Odyssey and, and Inferno, maybe <laughs> let's throw that away and do something way more useful for them and for the teachers. Uh, Jerry disagrees with you. One of our listeners says, was the question about the meaning of the green light worth asking? Absolutely. Not all students in a class can handle the deepest questions. Some will need lower level questions to help them develop their thinking. And as someone who often employs people, I, I would love to find people who could really write. Um, but Pia, let me put this question to you. When researchers tried out ChatGPT, they found that the, the AI client passed the U.S. medical licensing exam. That is what students takes before they become doctors. It also passed the final exam of a core course at the prestigious Wharton Business School. So how are we to understand the implications of an AI being able to pass these tests that make someone a, a, an MBA or a doctor? That is a great existential question for education. Is it existential? It feels very real. <laughs> Uh, this is, I think by existential, I really mean a fundamental question oh, for <laughs> education um, and what it means. I This calls to mind a conversation that I had with a professor at, uh, at the, the higher level uh, who teaches master's level courses on really uh, taking ChatGPT as an invitation to take a step back and have a bird's eye view of the institutions that we have built formalized education on. And he observes that in his years teaching, there's been so much more of an emphasis on testing and testing and testing students. Um, 
and uh, instead of having a more expansive idea of what education is, is it dialogue based? Is it uh, should it be rooted in students' personal experiences? Should it be more interpersonal? I know that sounds all very abstract and vague um, as compared to a test on pen and paper uh, that we are, are all familiar with. But I think it's, it's worth, again, using ChatGPT as an invitation to maybe think bigger about what assessment should look like. Maybe we need to go back to the medieval practice of having all exams be oral and in Latin, but Maybe not the Latin part. Um, Lalita, is it effective to make an outright ban on on a client like ChatGPT? Would that work? No, and and districts are trying this or have tried this. Um, it, it has two, I think, uh, deleterious effects. One is it inhibits the ability for experimentation within the classroom space. It'll, it it prevents the teachers and students to create some community around collaboratively investigating um, this tool. But it also um, takes away access for students for whom that might, the teacher, the, the school um, technology might be the only uh, access to this kind of um, technology they have. I think the other piece um, that, you know, connects to both uh, what, um, what Pia just said um, has to do with, I think education has been edging toward um, what might feel now like a sea change. I think we had uh, a full upending happen with COVID. Um, you know, people were forced onto uh, rightfully phrased uh, emergency um, uh, teaching. And so I think the the where we are now, you know, I, I really liked Matt's term of unhackable. Um, I think where we are now is we have an opportunity. People's attention and kind of uh, orientation toward potentially new tools in teaching, um, for better or worse, was opened up uh, several years, a few years ago with COVID. Yeah. But we have an opportunity now to think, how might we really answer the question, what is school for? Who is school for? And how can school be a place of greater belonging, not only for teachers, but also for young people? Many of you have a lot to say about this. That We seem to have agreement uh, from Guy and Charles. Guy says, a decade or so ago, I was talking to a friend's high school-aged child. I was surprised to hear he wasn't required to do his math problems with a pencil as long as he could with a calculator. The AI writing program seems to be a logical extension of that. Why be required to write when you can write with the push of a button? And Charles emails, as the computers get smarter, people get increasingly stupid. We are speaking with Lalita Vasudevan. She's a professor at Columbia University's Teachers College. Also with us is Daniel Herman. He teaches English at Maybeck High School in Berkeley, California. And Pia Saris is senior digital producer for Wired. I'm Celeste Headley. You're listening to 1A. And we're also hearing from you. First, students are expected to read a novel and come to class with a very solid knowledge of that book, just like the good old days. Secondly, they will be given a prompt by which they will develop their own thesis statement in class with me with no computers. The goal is to not only make a very precise thesis statement, but actually couple that with a request for the AI bot to write this essay. And the more precise they are, the better off they will be. They will give those to me and I will generate all of those essays using the AI bot. The next day, they will come to class and using pen and paper, not computers, I will hand them the essays that the bot generated for them, the one they generated based on their individual thesis statement. And they will be given a graphic organizer and asked to deconstruct what happened. So that voice is Kelly Gibson, who is a high school teacher that Pia interviewed in Oregon. Um, Gibson was concerned about chats using ChatGPT, and so you just heard her... Uh, strategy for working with ChatGPT, and she explained it during a TikTok video. Um, uh, Daniel, I wonder what you make of that, Kelly Gibson's solution to the the rise of ChatGPT. I think that sounds fantastic. You know, I'm really thinking about how I can reorient my own classes toward reading. You know, for me in my life, books are just about the best thing that, that there is. And when I think about all the students who are assigned a text and are so consumed by anxiety about the paper that will have to be written that they 
just suffer through the entire book. A, an exercise like that really opens them up to um, way more uh, flexible and creative uh, experience of, of reading because they're not worried about producing this, this product on, uh, on the receiving end. Uh, Renee emails ChatGPT can be a significant tool for teachers. It saves a lot of time searching for articles and then having to revise the text to be accessible for students. ChatGPT can also generate examples for students to see as models. Embrace this tool. It's here. Speaking of accessibility, let's turn to our voicemail box. This message is from Anne in Atlanta. I work with a lot of attention deficit disordered adults. One of my recent persons suggested Chat AI helped that person get started on writing assignments that were so difficult due to the procrastination that so often accompanies that diagnosis. I was wondering about your audience's thoughts on this use. So Pia, can you answer that? What are the potential benefits of this technology, especially for students like her ADD adults who might struggle to, to, to write an essay? Yeah, I think that this could potentially unlock so many more learning supports for students who historically have been underserved in, in institutions of formal education. So I think specifically about students with learning disabilities or students for whom English is not their first language, being able to have something that, uh, that can generate maybe sentence starters for them or give hints at uh, syntax or structures or that can help them brainstorm ideas could actually be quite supportive. And I think that there's like, there's an emotional aspect to this as well. One common practice that uh, I grew up with in high school was peer edits. So <laughs> passing papers with your neighbors and then marking up in their margins with red pen. I think that some students might feel, as Daniel mentioned, a level of anxiety around that, but an AI chatbot won't judge you for making mistakes. It can't. It is not. It is a non-human entity, um, and I. I think it. It was also Kelly who, and other teachers who suggested using ChatGPT to generate essays that students can then critique and edit themselves, and that way they can practice the skill of editing, which requires an awareness of what good writing is in a non-judgmental space. Yeah, I think AI can be quite snarky. Siri really is quite passive-aggressive at times. Uh, Kathleen is a former teacher and emails us, apparently I retired at exactly the right time. And a listener tweets, I foresee the words prompt engineer showing up in job applications and resumes by the summer, and it being an entire job by the end of the year as all the schools banned kids from developing those exact skills. And speaking of developing skills, in the minute or so we have left, Daniel, um, you argue in your Atlantic piece that ChatGPT could, quote, bring the end of writing as a gatekeeper, a metric for intelligence, and a teachable skill. How would that happen? How would AI make writing skills irrelevant? Yeah, you know, I'm really interested in, in this question. Any... Uh, anyone who teaches writing or uh, English teachers and tutors who are listening to this know how much of teaching English is just absolute tedium. Helping students understand you need an apostrophe to make something possessive. This isn't a positive phrase. This is how to do an MLA citation. Or even just, you know, spelling. The standardization of spelling is just a made-up thing. There's so much of... of uh, writing education that's focused on that. If we can just give that over to the chatbot and we don't have to worry about, about apostrophes anymore, that seems great. The second thing is that there are many, many ways to have an experience with a piece of text and to demonstrate learning about uh, of a piece of text. Yeah, without writing you can, about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can do a drawing, you can do in a presentation, but we've always assumed that writing is a, an essential way to engage with text. And maybe that's not true anymore, and maybe that's okay. Well, um, AI is going to change education, like it or not. We've been speaking with Daniel Herman. He teaches English at Maybach High School in the Bay Area. Daniel, thank you so much. 
Thank you for having me. Also sticking with us is Le- uh, Lalita Vasudevan. She's a professor at Columbia University's Teacher College, and Pia Saris is a senior digital, digital producer at Wired. Coming up, we'll meet with a student at Princeton who saw how ChatGPT was u- being used by his peers and decided to do something about it. I'm Celeste Headley. We'll hear more from you and our guests in just a moment. Hello, I'm Brian Cox. I'm Robin Ince, and this is the Infinite Monkey Cage trailer for our brand new series. We've got mummies, we've got magic, we've got asteroids. Mummies, magic and asteroids, what's the link? That it was an asteroid that magically went over the world that led to Imhotep the mummy coming back to life. That's correct. <laughs> I thought it would be. We're as scientific as ever. But the most important thing to know is that we are going to deal with the biggest scientific question. We finally ask, what is better, cats or dogs? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to our conversation about artificial intelligence in classrooms. Still with us, Pia Saris, senior digital producer at Wired, and Lalita Vasudevan, professor at Columbia University's Teacher College. Today's conversation is the second in our series on AI in partnership with Wired. Yesterday, we began, as we usually do, by reading an introduction scripted ahead. As AI technology continues to evolve at a rapid pace, it's changing the way we live, work, and even think. In this series, we'll hear from experts, innovators, and thought leaders who are on the forefront of AI research and development. We'll dive into the ethical and social implications of AI, explore the latest breakthroughs, and examine the impact of this cutting-edge technology on our lives. So that was not written by one of our incredibly talented producers, but by a machine. The result was not perfect, but frankly, it wasn't notable for being written by AI. Our next guest probably could have caught that cheat with a little help from, well, artificial intelligence. Edward Tienz is a senior at Princeton University, and he developed a free web program, GPT-0, that detects detects when text is machine written. Uh, We entered yesterday's intro into GPT-0 and it told us, quote, the text is likely to be written entirely by AI. Check and check. You caught us, Edward. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So can you explain in terms that even I could understand how you caught us? Yeah, well, um, so I built GPT-0 over winter break and released in January and the initial version uses these ideas of variance in human writing that, you know, in human writing, we have creativity, we have short-term memory, which spurs bursts in creativity versus this machine writing is pretty constant over time. So it started with that baseline. Since then, it's been a month and the program is a lot better now. So I have a team working on it and we're kind of like taking uh, AI data and human data and training a model um, to be better and better at detecting AI. So your your software actually scores uh, written texts for things like burstiness and perplexity. How do you measure burstiness? Yeah, so burstiness is measured in variance in writing. Um, it's funny because burstiness was sort of a term I borrowed from linguistics, but in the last months I've slowly seen it seep into the machine learning lexicon, which has been really cool to observe. Um, but it's it's sort of plotting this first variable over time and measuring the variance in, in writing. Okay. So when you created GPT-0, which I understand you did over winter break from school, as one does, why did you do it? I mean, it seems well, as, a, as a student, you'd be, you'd be motivated to not do this, right? Yeah, well, initially I wasn't just approaching it from the education use case. Although I understand that for a lot of teachers and students, this technology was suddenly thrust upon us. I was more approaching it from the technology perspective that when we are releasing these admittedly brilliant and innovative technologies like um, ChatGPT and generative AI, we also have to release the safeguards so that they're adopted responsibly, not months, or not years after the technology is released, but right away. And that's where I thought, hey, maybe I could step in as well. 
Okay, so uh, I want to read you this tweet from Damien, who says, I work as a professor and AI ethics researcher and philosopher. I worry about how suspicion of AI's use will be invariably levied against some students more than others. If we aren't careful, these tools will expand disparities in educational outcomes. What's your response? Yeah, so that's an incredibly good point. I would say the GPD-0 app I released in January is like a lot of other apps people have been releasing, which is very imperfect, and it sort of has a black and white approach, that this is either human or AI. And in the last month, our approach is to really completely shift away from that. So um, if you try the app now, it's not going to say this is AI or human. It's going to say and highlight portions of an essay that's more likely to be AI generated. And we did this for two reasons. One is we have a GP0 educators community of around 4,000 teachers, and they told us this is something they want because students aren't writing entire essays in AI. They're sort of mixing. But two, it sort of shifts away from this catch tool that the teacher pulls out at the end into something that's like highlighting portions and starting the conversation between teacher and student on what's an acceptable level of AI involvement, which might not be the entire essay, but might be portions. So you, as you mentioned, you have a team now, six people I understand who are updating your program, improving it. But at the same time, I have to imagine the folks at ChatGPT are also updating their program and improving that. Is this just going to be sort of an escalating arms race? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So I would say two things. One is it's absolutely an arms race, but more in terms of not the lab development of these technologies, but in the real world, because everybody's building these classifiers with some of the same logic, perplexity, and brickiness that GPT-0 initially used, but no one's really um, sort of like tuning it to the education use case. Uh, And that's what we're focusing on. So one, we want to build this classifier to um, be uh, like specific for like education and trained on student essays instead of like a general classifier. And two, um, yeah, we, we sort of want to be like talking to teachers on like how they want this tool to work. And then on, on the lab side, I think uh, it's too early to say there's like some metrics in terms of like perplexity and burstiness that might be innate for all of these generative AI models, whether it's GPD-3, 3.54, but also uh, it could be that as these models get better and better, we need to train the detection model to be better and better, uh, which so far costs a lot less money and is a lot easier to do than training another GPT. You are still at this point a student. what would you tell teachers who are really worried about chat GPT? Uh, we've heard from a lot of people who say, well, this means that teachers were asking um, pro forma questions, right? They need to change the questions that they ask. They need to change the ways they educate. What would you tell to teachers and professors? Well, the first thing is I'm really glad the biggest piece of, piece of feedback I've gotten for teachers, professors, is that it was reassuring that GPT-0 came out so early, like even if they weren't using the tool, I don't know if that makes sense. It was just reassuring to know someone was working on this problem. Um, But two, I would say that, um, well, everyone, it is going to change how how things are taught in schools. I would say that students still need to write. At the end of the day, like these chat GPT technologies aren't coming out with anything new and it might replace like certain portions of the essays and and you know we're working together with teachers to navigate how yeah a- AI and human technologies sort of like like mix and what what portions are are really important skills and what portions are not and uh, yeah we're excited to sort of build the right right tool to do that because I think teachers also recognize that these technologies are here too I, I kind of feel like we can sum up your message to teachers as don't panic yeah. Um, that's, that's totally true. And like, sure, maybe your Shakespeare essay, the student might use AI to write entirely. But if you're writing like a niche summary of what you learned in class, you know, like ChatGPT doesn't have context. It's not coming up with anything new. It's only regurgitating what it's seen on the internet. So it's, yeah, there's, there's so many things that ChatGPT can't do. Edward Tian is a senior at Princeton University and the creator of GPD-0. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Edward. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Still with us, we have Pia Saris, Senior Digital Producer at Wired, and Lalita Vasudevan, Professor at Columbia University's Teacher College. Uh, Pia, I just wanted to, it sounds like in your reporting at least, your message is also to teachers and professors, don't panic. Yeah, that is the the headline of the story. Um, I would say you're allowed to panic and feel your feelings, <laughs> um, but now what? You know, where do we go from there? And what was so hopeful to me about hearing Edward speak was that it feels like students are taking ownership over this this sea change uh, that's happening in their lives. And I wanted to bring it back to something that Lalita said really early in the conversation, uh, which is inviting students to dialogue about this tool. Uh, All the teachers that I spoke with also felt panic initially, but eventually became strong advocates of not ignoring this tool's presence, but rather using it as a jumping off point to their students to engage in a critical dialogue about technology and academic integrity, the role of writing in their own lives, because this kind of technology will change the world that they live in, and they will also become the people shaping this technology. I'm Celeste Headley. You're listening to 1A. So, Lalita, ChatGPT has been free to use so far, but earlier this month, OpenAI, which is a a different, similar but different brand, announced a premium membership subscription that's going to cost about $20 a month. I wonder if you have concerns about equity issues when it comes to the expansion of AI in the classroom. Yeah, certainly. And we want, you know, just, just to kind of build on what Pia said, we want all students to be part of building that future. We want students who go to school to be prepared to not only graduate school, high school and college, but solve the problems that haven't yet been discovered. Um, And I think moving to a subscription model is sort of predictable, you know, and but we also know with varying results, um, other companies are working on, other uh, organizations are working on their own chat, uh, chatbots and, and AI tools. So I'm hopeful that as more people get involved and feel invested, and I think that to me is, even as there's been so much fear, the fact that so many people are engaged is a hopeful sign to me. Um, and I think we have a chance to do a few things as people using um, these tools. And and one is, I think, to be part of the conversation around things like how are, you know, how are these, uh, yes, we have chatbot uh, detectors. Um, that's great to hear that that's being built. But, you know, p- some people have said, you know, should we be citing um, AI-generated text? Should we be, you know, referencing it or naming it in some way so it becomes normalized and not sensationalized? Um, I think it gives us a, a way to really open up the conversation even more about media literacy and critical literacy that um, scholars and, and teachers have been doing for a long time. I think the three, two other points I wanted to make about this, because I think we want more people to use these tools because we want to demystify them. And we want the tools to be more responsible, the makers of these tools. And and that is to continue the teaching and learning relationships that I think all of your guests have talked about, really addressing those because that also can feed or diminish um, equity and access to uh, education yeah. um, opportunities. And the last thing is it we... We want, and I think I say we as, a, as an education community, but also as an educated community, um, we want people to ask better questions. Yeah. Um, we want students to really t- dive into their inquiries. We want teachers to deepen their inquiries. And this, we, I think only good things can come from people asking better questions, more questions. And I think that's what, you know, both from an ethical perspective in terms of who has access, but also from how we use these tools, um, that's what's going to help us, I think, shape and agitate in, in productive ways. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder, Pia, because, you know, it, perhaps the solution is is using the SALCON method, SALCON of the Khan Academy, where you do the lectures at home and do the homework in class. Jeff emails us, maybe English teachers should have all essays done in class. I have long hated the idea of assigned homework. It's not necessary. Do, do you think something like ChatGPT is going to reopen that, that that long-standing debate about homework? Oh, absolutely. I think that it will definitely sort of explode our notions of what is the best use of time in class and what is the best use 
of uh, learning time outside of class. Um, so I think to go back to what Daniel said earlier, something that I have been seeing teachers experiment more with is just switching up that format of multimodal learning as a better use of time in class writing or demonstrating learning in other ways outside of writing, having a dialogue, drawing a picture about uh, something that that they've been reading in class. So I definitely think there's room for more creativity there. Pia, we have only about 30 seconds left, but I wonder, do you expect reporters and journalists to start using ChatGPT to write up their stories when they're on deadline? <laughs> Don't tell my editor any of this. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I didn't say you. I just said people. <laughs> um I think that that's something that every newsroom will have to navigate on their own. We're starting out conversations uh, at Wired about it, but that I think that remains to be seen and will be developed newsroom by newsroom. Interesting. That is Pia Saris, senior digital producer with Wired, and Lalita Vasudevan is a professor of technology and education at Columbia University's Teacher College. She is also the college's vice dean for digital innovation. Pia and Lalita, thank you so much for joining us today. Norma tweets, I'm the founding director of Hispanics for STEM, an association of parents dedicated to the promotion of STEM and computer science among Hispanic students in Northern Virginia. I'm recommending the use of ChatGPT to learn English. We continue this series, Know-It-All 1A and Wired's Guide to AI, tomorrow with a conversation about artificial intelligence and healthcare. And Wired has a newsletter if you want to learn more about how technology is changing our lives. It's called Fast Forward and explores the latest advances in AI as well as other technologies. You can sign up at wired.com slash newsletter. Today's producers were Chris Remington and Avery Jessa Chapnick. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Celeste Headley. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A. Hi, it's Lauren again. Thanks for listening to this special show. If you want to hear more of these conversations, you can find the entire Know-It-All series at v1a.org forward slash series. That's one as in the numeral one. So it's the1a.org slash series. Thanks to WAMU and NPR for the use of this episode. We'll be back to our regular programming next week. Until then, goodbye. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. From PRX.